Our scripture this morning comes from Matthew chapter 7, verses 24 through 27. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and acts on them will be like a wise man who built his house on rock. The rain fell, the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on the house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not act on them will be like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell. And great was its fall. The word of God for the people of God. Lord, we thank you for the opportunity to gather together to read your word, to worship, to fellowship, to be in community. We pray, Lord, that you will be glorified in this place and that we will be empowered to go out and to be your hands and feet. We pray these things in your name. Amen. So the uh, Sunday after Christmas, traditionally, in circles that I run in anyway, is uh, Youth Pastor Preach Sunday, but Jordan had to run sound this morning, so I'm up. It's me. And uh, we um, actually get the opportunity to share for two weeks. Um, a short sermon series based on a book called Aching Joy, and um, I'm honored to do so and thankful for that opportunity. Um, but when I have the microphone, I do like to rant a little bit. So um, as I'm preaching, um, wanted to talk about fast food for a second. Um, you ever get the wrong order when you go through the drive-thru? I know, right? Well, I have a problem with trust, apparently, and so I trust that what's, what I ordered is going to be in my bag, and so I'm never the guy who stops and, like, rummages through. I always wait, you know, and trust that what is in my bag is right, you know, and I, I don't want to step on any toes, but again, I'm preaching this morning, so um, I will take the opportunity. I mean, likely it's one of you in here, at least one of you, but you, you don't order crinkle fries at Arby's. It's like, if you Google Arby's fries, just those two words, don't do it right now because we're in church, but if you Google Arby's fries... There's a certain fry that comes up, and it's curly and kind of an orange tint. So when you order crinkle fries, that's how it starts. I, I don't know what it is, but apparently they're serving burgers there now. And uh, so I'll let you determine what that is. Um, but anyway, <laughs> so here's a tricky one. When you go into a restaurant and you order something, 
you made the call, you made the decision, sit down restaurant, and they bring your order out to you, and it's not what you expected. Looks completely different. I went with a friend recently to um, a longest night service, and afterwards, a group of us went to a restaurant that I'd never been to, and uh, the person that took us there was giving us recommendations, and they said, I, I've eaten almost everything on the menu here, and it's all good, except for the hot chicken sandwich. And I was like, oh, well, why was the hot chicken sandwich not good? And she said, well, because some people don't understand what a hot chicken sandwich is. In other words, she ordered it, and she did not get what she expected. Have you ever heard the old wisdom, never pray for patience? Because if you do pray for patience, you might get it, <laughs> and it might not come in the way that you intended for it to come. So our subject today is much deeper than a wrong food order. I could share personal stories with you about disappointment and hurt and pain and how I wish that those situations were different and that it was as simple as getting the wrong sandwich or the wrong espresso drink order. But the truth is, I'm willing to bet that each person in this room has something that comes to mind, something that's altered their life, their understanding, or their perspective in some way. This is something that we all share in this human experience. Maybe it's something very fresh. Maybe it's something that you stare, you had to stare in the face this past week. Maybe it was a first celebration without someone you love. An empty spot at the table. Maybe you're facing a new diagnosis. And you spent the holidays wondering what this means for a new year. Excuse me, this is not what I ordered. Honestly, there are times in our lives when things just don't make sense. We cling to the verses that we've always heard, promises like the one that states all things work together for good. Or in Isaiah, when it says, I know the plan's I have for you, not to harm you, but to prosper and to give you hope and a future. We've heard sermons and we've read devotionals that take these words and try to personalize them. Make them for the individual. And we miss the bigger story. There is a bigger story. A greater purpose. There's a final and eternal 
redemption that we look forward to. We find ourselves coming up short, trying to fit our situation into some sort of greater good or greater understanding. Because here and now, it hurts. Faith is defined in Hebrews 11, verses 1 through 6, as the assurance of things hoped for. It's trust in God who formed the things that are seen out of nothing. Our faith shouldn't hinge on the things that are seen and experienced. Faith doesn't change our circumstances, but it anchors us in hope. And the one who is good. You know what? <laughs> Hurt rarely makes sense. We can retrace our steps and try to pinpoint what caused this turn in our relationships, our health, our emotions. And we find a bunch of what ifs. Wish I would haves. And should have known better. It often happens out of the blue. In an instant, your whole world can be turned upside down without explanation. You know what else rarely makes sense? Joy. Scientists can't even pinpoint happiness. Which often gets paired with joy, although they are two different things. Scientists in their research have yet to point to a single area in the brain that controls happiness. If you grew up in the Western world, happiness is associated with emotions like excitement and cheerfulness. In the Eastern world, happiness is associated with calmer states like peace and serenity. We can identify easily when we are not happy about something or how a situation is handled, yet it is difficult to pinpoint why we might experience a peaceful calm in the face of difficulty, frustration, heartbreak, or grief. For the past few years, I've had the opportunity to participate in and facilitate grief groups. Grief hits us all in different ways. We could be facing the loss of a loved one, the loss of a job, a relationship, a community. People are, stu are struck by a sudden realization that they have done something for the very last time often out of nowhere. The last time he poured food into that beloved dog's bowl. The last time you made a commute to a place where you poured years of your life possibly even far removed, a thought sparks something 
and you are overwhelmed by something lost. If nothing else unites the grieving, curiosity certainly does. Why them? Why now? Why me? Why am I responding in this way? Our passage today follows right after a description that Christ gives in Matthew of false prophets and true believers. This is the conclusion of what is known as the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus states that a good tree bears good fruit and a bad tree bears bad fruit. The fruit is determined by the strength of the tree. Jesus goes on to say that the person who not only hears these words, but also acts on them, will be like a wise person who built their house on rock. Rain and storms came and the house stood firm. The crowd was amazed at Jesus' teaching. However, it wasn't intended for their amazement. It was a call to action. Jesus is saying that you can build on your amazement, but without obedient action, you're building on sand. We may know how to shelter beneath the right words or thinking, and it's natural to take the easy shelter, whether it's internal or external. We tend to look for safety in whatever seems to have the least cost to us personally. I'm going to sit here underneath my tough exterior, my anger, my stress, my humor, my work, my politics, or hide behind empty statements or my preferences. Saying the right thing is just scratching the surface. It's in the depths that love becomes a bit more tricky. I'm reminded of John 21, where Jesus tells Peter that if he loves him, he will feed his sheep. Over and over, Peter says, of course, of course I love you. And then Jesus presents a call to action. Our passage today isn't about houses and storms. It's not about right appearances, or starting a new year off on the right foot. This is about authenticity, realness. This is about being beaten and torn and tossed about in the storm, but at the foundation, there is fruit. The fruit that is produced while following the way of Jesus. That diagnosis, the loss of that loved one, uncertainty of where the next paycheck will come from, or even how in the world you can stretch this one out. It all hurts. It all aches. There is a real God who created and formed you and has a will for you and a plan that is much bigger than your reality your situation, your life, 
your circumstances and understanding. Yes, there is a plan for you. It's God's plan, and it is that you turn your steps towards the way of Jesus. To know and experience God's love fully, and to extend that love in a countercultural way, so that the world may encounter that love as well. God's love is beyond anyone's comprehension. And it is beyond our earthly circumstances or diagnosis or broken hearts. In the book, Aching Joy, which inspired this short series, Jason Haig says, Men like me flounder in the face of such grim realities. All our wells run dry. He goes on to describe how we need an easy win, so we look for a new puzzle or a new quest. Instead of facing the issue that leaves us feeling helpless. He then tells the Old Testament story of a leper named Naaman. Who interestingly enough was a leader in the army of ancient Israel's northern neighbors and enemy. The Arameans. The Old Testament states that God was working through this general's victories. The story goes on to present one of the Old Testament depiction, one of the first Old Testament depictions of baptism. Jason Haig tells the story like this. Naaman of Syria was a powerful general who found his newly acquired leprosy to be a great inconvenience. So he sought help from Elisha the mystic holy man from the south. When the general arrived at the prophet's home, he was met by a hired hand who gave him simple instructions. If Naaman wanted to be cured, he had to wash himself in the Jordan River seven times. The general threw himself on his horse and rode off in disgust, ignoring the prophet's orders. It was a dismissive kind of task and far too lowly a prescription. It certainly wasn't big enough to match the monster he faced. The Jordan was too foul for a man such as Naaman. There were crystal clear streams in his own homeland that were more suitable. To bathe himself in the stench of the Jordan would be to face his own uncleanliness. His own rot. Then, on his way out of town, one of his servants caught his ear. My father, if the prophet had told you to do something great, would you not have done it? How much more then when he says to you, wash and be clean? The servant knew his master well. Naaman was an adventurer in search of a solution as big as he was. Adventurers go, on, adventurers go on great quests. They fight dragons, they hunt for grails, and they sail the seas to find the golden fleece. They win glory, and all of their problems go away. 
But you've given an easier, you've been given an easier cure, his servant was saying. Far easier than questing. But he was wrong. Elisha's cure wasn't simpler. It was more obvious and more intelligent, but it wasn't easier. We have a tendency to want to protect the exterior. The storms come and beat against the flesh and bone. And we want to save face. It's easy to buy into the idea that joy, like happiness, is expressed externally. It's on billboards and on social media. It's in the smiles and the sunshine. Joy is internal. It's one of the fruits at the foundation. It's a fruit of the Spirit that is in our shouts of hallelujah and in our screams of, and our cries of pain. Joy is part of the great mystery. The weathered and battered house still stands because it's founded on the source of everything that is good. It's much easier to seek out clearer waters than it is to submerge ourselves in the murky waters of admitting that we're wrong, apologizing, or saying that we need help, or that we're lonely, or scared, or that we care. Or that this is not what I ordered to the person in the window or to God. The depths are countercultural. In the book, Hallelujah Anyway, Anne Lamott wrote about our tendency to keep things surface in our culture, stating, Deep is so un-American, so un-American now, even radical. We live too often like water skeeters on the surface of the pond, dropping down for a quick bite of insect or email. Deep is the realm of the soul. True joy isn't found on the surface. Before you build, you have to have a foundation. And in order to lay the foundation, you have to dig. You know what happens when you dig? Things are uncovered, unearthed, exposed. And surprised by joy, C.S. Lewis wrote, I sometimes wonder whether all pleasures are not substitutes for joy. How often we forsake the healing powers of walking into the murky waters 
for the momentary pleasures of agreement and comfort and pats on the back. Pursuing temporary pleasure, no matter the cost, often seems simpler or more glamorous than facing the unpleasant prescription of moving forward into the thickness of the murky water. Joy is a fruit of the Spirit, and so is peace. Gratification via consumption of substances, media, storing up treasures on earth, shutting down or out tension, all provide something in the moment, but they are faulty substitutes for God's intended joy and peace. Positivity sees the hope in every situation while facing reality. A faulty substitute is climbing on a horse named toxic positivity and heading in the opposite direction of the murky river of reality where you find true healing and hope. One might call these faulty substitutes sin. Sin separates. It separates us from what God desires for us, a relationship with God, as well as what God desires for community. Unity through authentic relationships in pursuit of the kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. St. Augustine said, But my sin was this, that I looked for pleasure, beauty, and truth, not in God, but in myself and his other creatures. And the search led me instead to pain, confusion, and error. In other words, building your life on the concepts and ideas, but failing to walk in the murky water of obedience is like building your house on sand. It will sink when the storm comes. Jesus is the firm foundation. We may desire crystal clear waters and luxurious remedies that meet our inflated sense of self on this side of eternity. But what is needed is to simply dive into the murkiness of faith and into the pursuit of honest love of God and neighbor trusting in Jesus, and emerge with authentic fruits like joy and peace, which can only be given by the Spirit and sustain us in all circumstances because our foundation is not built on sinking sand. Amen.